It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hi, Cardinal fans. I'm Ozzie Smith. Corks one into right down the line. It may go. And you're listening to the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Here's your host, Brent McMillan. Hello and welcome to the Cardinal Insider Podcast. I'm Brent McMillan. Glad to have you with us for this episode. We are celebrating 125 years of Cardinal baseball. And as part of that, both on the TV side with Cardinals Insider and here on the podcast, we're trying to illuminate some big moments from Cardinal history and some of the men and women who made those moments happen. Today, that brings us to former Cardinal third baseman Ken Boyer and this conversation that I got to have with his son, David Boyer, recently. You probably know if you're a big-time Cardinal fan, but just a little bit of a refresher. Ken won the 1964 MVP in the National League, and he also played a big role in the Cardinals winning the World Series that season. In fact, at Yankee Stadium, with the bases loaded and the Cardinals trailing in Game 4, he hit one of the biggest home runs in team history. There's a driveway back. It might be. It could be. It is a home run. Listen to the crowd. Kenny Boyer, long time due in this World Series, just became the ninth player to hit a grand slammer. He hit a changeup. I drive deep. The, the intrigue in that moment stretches field. beyond just the there and now of hitting a grand slam to win a World Series game at Yankee Stadium. But Ken's brother actually was the opposing third baseman in that series. Both of them from small town rural Missouri grew up obviously in the same family and were not the only brothers from the family to have played Major League Baseball. We'll talk about that with David Boyer, son of Ken Boyer, in just a moment. This conversation comes from a TV piece that we put together for Cardinals Insider. Uh, Sadly, we can't talk with Ken himself because he passed away of lung cancer at just 51 years old back in 1982. But David was just beaming with the opportunity to talk about his dad for both the TV show and for the podcast. I learned a lot about Ken Boyer through talking to his son, and I hope that you learn a lot too. One of maybe the more underreported guys in Cardinal history, but played a big, big role, especially in that 1964 season. So here it is, my talk with David Boyer, son of Ken Boyer, on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. He's an interesting, I guess, case study is for, in Cardinal history of a guy that was born in Cardinal territory in Missouri and then played for the Cardinals. Was he a Cardinal fan growing up? Did it mean something to him to be from Missouri and play for the Cardinals? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it's all he ever wanted to do was be a Cardinal. Um, he was so blessed and mentioned it on many occasions how blessed he was to be able to start his career and play most of his career 
um, with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was a really athletic guy from what I understand. Are there stories that family would tell about that athleticism? Yeah, he had uh, college scholarships in basketball, baseball, and football. And as a matter of fact, during the offseason, he practiced with the old St. Louis Hawks. And they had actually asked him to travel, to practice with them when they traveled uh, during the offseason, but he didn't feel that the Cardinals would appreciate that, so he didn't do it. I know he came in as a pitcher to the Correct. organization. Did he like that? Did he want to pitch, or was he bummed out by the fact that they had switched him over? Well, he just, he, you know, he hit so well when he was pitching. You know, you look back at his records his first couple of years when he was pitching, and his uh, batting average and, you know, the hits and home runs, you know, were off the charts. And so they just figured that he'd be a better hitter. And then when he came up to the big leagues, you know, he was actually an outfielder, and he led the league in percentage, I think, that uh, at, at position that he played that first year. And then they moved him over to third base. Came from a huge family. What was his childhood like, the, the stories he would tell about that? Well, he was born in 1931, so it was during the Depression. And they lived in a little town of 250 people called Alba, Missouri. It's down around Joplin and Carthage. And so he had six brothers and seven sisters. There were seven boys and seven girls, thus the uh, number 14. And, uh, you know, they came from very, very meager background. Um, their dad worked uh, in a marble factory. And so, you know, they, never, they didn't starve. Uh, they grew a lot of their own, like, vegetables and stuff like that. They always had food on, they always had food on the table. Um, but it was a very poor family. They had all those kids. What do you think was the thing that your dad would talk about that helped him in baseball coming from that kind of environment where there's a lot of sharing and a lot of understanding that it's, you know, selflessness when you're in a big family? You know, as I started to get a little bit older, I found out the thing that I admired the most about my dad was not the fact that he was a really good, in fact, great baseball player, but the fact how humble he was. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, you know, I met your dad years ago, and when the conversation was over, I felt like I had known him, and, and I, I think he felt like he had known me all his life. And so that was the type of person he was. He just wanted to be a regular guy um, that played baseball. Was he able to leave work at work when he came home? Could you tell if he'd won or lost or what? kind of had happened that day at the ballpark? No, you know, and he never talked about himself. He was just one of those guys that just, you know, I don't have a lot of stories to talk about what he told me um, that he accomplished in baseball. He let his glove and he let his bat um, do all the talking for him. Once you got old enough, and you probably were toward the end of his time in St. Louis before you really start remembering, you know, being out in public with him, but how did people react to him when you guys would go out in public? Um, you know, I never saw my dad turn down uh, an autograph. In the old Sportsman's Park, um, there was a small parking lot right outside of the stadium, and that's where most of the ballplayers parked. There's actually a public parking lot, but most of the fans knew that the ballplayers parked there. So after the game, they'd wait outside there, and they'd wait for the ballplayers to walk to their cars. And I remember, you know, my dad would almost always take me to every home game that he could, and um, I remember he would be signing autograph after autograph all the way to the car. And then, you know, once he, he had got to go sometime. And then I remember going to restaurants like the old Stan and Biggie's and people would come up to the table and he'd never turn down an autograph. What do you remember when you would go to Sportsman's Park for those games? There were some dynamite rosters you were around in the, the 50s and 60s. I just remember, I remember Roberto Clemente. I remember Willie Mays. I remember McCovey, Stargell. Uh, Sandy Koufax, besides my dad, was one of my heroes. I thought he and the whole Dodger organization was just total class. And fortunately, the last two years of my dad's um, career actually finished with the Dodgers. 
1954, when he was, I think, playing winter ball in Havana, I read that he got hit behind the left ear with a pitch. How did that affect him, not just that year, but the rest of his life, too? You know, um, I think he was knocked out, if I remember correctly, for almost a week. Uh, he was unconscious. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys, uh, he wasn't going to turn down, you know, he wasn't going to let anything like that ever set him back. So I don't think it really ever affected him um, as far as his career is concerned. What did your dad like most about being a Cardinal once he achieved the goal and, and was here in St. Louis as a ball player? Um, you know, I, I think just the mere fact that he was from St. Louis, or from Missouri, um, got to play most of his career here. Um, the fans accepted him so well, and uh, he just loved being part of the crowd. And uh, he just really enjoyed uh, the fan base here. Um, the organization was incredible. Um, you know, right before he came on, um, Anheuser-Busch had bought the company, and it was a first-rate organization that ran the, the baseball team the same as they did the brewery. Just uh, everything was first class. You had a lot of brothers, like you talked about, and three of them played big league baseball. Those are pretty crazy odds. Did you ever talk about, you know, Thanksgiving sitting around, or are your uncles and your dad telling baseball stories in that situation? No, you know, uh, something a little bit off of that. Um, in 1964, there's a lot of people who are going to watch this program who weren't old enough to know who my dad was. And so in 1964, the Cardinals played the Yankees, and my dad was the third baseman for the Cardinals, and my um, uncle, my dad's younger brother, Cleet, played third base uh, for the Yankees. So third baseman Cardinals, third baseman Yankees. So my grandmother, who is my dad's um, mom, and his father came in for the first game. They started the series in St. Louis. And a reporter came up to my grandmother and said, okay, you got a son playing on the Cardinals, you got a son playing on the Yankees, who are you rooting for? She said, I'm rooting for the third baseman, which is classic my grandmother. Your dad hit a really big home run, in fact, a grand slam in that World Series to, to hand the Cardinals a winning game number four. What did he tell you about that day? Like I said, he never talked about his accomplishments. He always just let his bat and his glove do that. But, you know, I could not have been prouder, you know. They were behind three to nothing. He hits that grand slam. They end up winning four to three. And that turned the series around. That, that put them back on, uh, on track. Were you watching on television? I couldn't. I was in school. So, yeah, I was in grade school at the time, so, and that game was in New York, so, yeah. What, what was it like, I guess, the next couple of days just being a kid in elementary school and having that be what the entire city is talking about? You know, people had come up to me all my life, and they still do somewhat, and go, you know, what was it like growing up? And I was like, you know, that was just my life. It was just like, you know, you grew up, you know, in, in the way you did. This is the way I grew up. I didn't know any different. Um, I didn't feel any. I didn't feel special. Um, my dad would never let that. It would never allow that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just the way I grew up, and my brothers and sisters too. What did that World Series mean to him and the MVP in in '64? Were there things that he kept, mementos, or was he a guy that kind of low keyed it completely and just didn't even have things in the house about it? Yeah, no, he's got. Uh, you know, he he we won uh, five gold gloves. Um, we've got those. Um, I've got his 64 World Series ring. Um, he also won the Ty Cobb Award in 1964 along with the uh, MVP Award, so we've got that plaque. And uh, the Ty Cobb Award is a humanitarian award. My dad was a national spokesperson for multiple sclerosis society, so they awarded him um, the Ty Cobb Award back in 1964. But yeah, we've got all that. 
when he was traded from St. Louis, what was that like for him? Um, I, you know, again, he would never say, but I know he was. He had to be devastated. You know, he the Cardinals was you know it was everything to him. Um, but um, you know, he had a career that it, he wanted to finish up, and uh, he was very fortunate in the fact that he got to come back and coach first base. Well, first he came back after he retired after 1969. He came back and uh, I think he managed in the minor leagues first, and then he uh, coached first base. And then he came back uh, again. He'd left for a couple of years, went to the Orioles uh, to coach in their minor league system, and he got hired as the major league manager back in, I think it was 1979. Uh, what are your memories of him managing? Um, he actually, you know, the first two years weren't too bad. That last year, um, I was looked at his record. They were 18 and 33 when he got fired. And I know it was, it was really hard on him, you know, because he was the eternal optimist. He, you know, always felt like, you know, there was always had a chance to win a ball game. And I know it was really tough for him going through that that year. To the best of my knowledge, he's the only retired number that isn't in the Hall of Fame. But the Bush family felt he'd contributed so much to the Cardinals that they had to retire that number. What does that mean to you guys as a family? And I mean, uh, for the, you know, of course my dad had already passed away, but um, uh, the admiration and the pride that, all of my dad's siblings and kids and family, all of the family and friends is just, you know, it's off the charts. When you come to games and you look out at the wall, what, what do you think about? Um, it brings back a lot of memories, childhood memories, yeah. You know, if there, if there was something you had to sum up for people who didn't know your dad, but you had to, in a couple of sentences, tell them who your dad was, what would you say? Um, he was the guy that lived next door. He was the guy um, who excelled in his job, but he just, uh, it, he didn't want to be viewed as anything other than the person, a, a person just like you or myself. Um, he was a very, very humble person. Why was he that way? Um, upbringing. Um, he came from very humble beginnings and um, that's the way he was raised. Anything else that we, um, we didn't talk about that you think is significant? Stories about your dad or things other people have said to you throughout your life? I'll tell you kind of a funny story. Um, Charlie Gito, who owns, he's a, a local restaurateur here in St. Louis. He's got, I think, three, four, five restaurants. Was a very good friend of my dad's. And uh, again, my dad played his last two years with the Dodgers. And so um, he knew Tommy Lasorda very well because he was, Lasorda was in a minor league organization at the time with the Dodgers. And Lasorda was also a friend of Charlie Gito's. Whenever he came into town, he would go to his restaurant. So in 1979, my dad was managing the Cardinals and the Dodgers were, gonna, were coming in. So my dad and Charlie Gito um, drove to the airport to pick up Tommy Lasorda and take him down to the chase. That's where they were going to be staying. Um, so on the way to the chase, my dad was driving the car. He got pulled over. And so the policeman has him roll down the window and he looks in, he sees my dad, he looks over on the front passenger seat and he goes, hey, you're Tommy Lasorda, aren't you? He didn't even recognize my dad, but he knew this guy from Los Angeles. And so I thought that was really funny. Your dad ultimately settled here, it sounds like, after his playing and managing years were done. Why did he choose St. Louis to live his life out? Again, I mean, this is home. That's uh, you know, it's where the only place he ever wanted to live. Um, you know, we could have stayed out in Los Angeles. Uh, 
when you know he played his last two years out there, but um, St. Louis is home. This is you know where all of his family and friends are. Our TV profile of Ken is available at cardinals.com slash video, or you can watch it in the MLB at Bad app. If you go to the video section, just type in Cardinals Insider. You can also search him directly with using Ken Boyer. Hope you really enjoyed today's show. It's always fun to sit down alumni or family members of alumni and just get their stories from the past. We also recently chatted with a current member of the Cardinals, Paul DeYoung, who is hot as can be at the time that we record this. Spoke with him about what it's been like to be in the big leagues here in 2017. And we also had some great radio calls from Cardinal history in a recent episode. Over 90 years of stuff from the audio vault. You won't want to miss that. You can search both, listen, rate, subscribe, and review to all episodes by searching St. Louis Cardinal Podcast in both Podbean and iTunes. So glad that you chose to join us for another episode here today. Special thanks to David Boyer. For taking some time to talk about his dad. I really had a lot of fun getting to meet him. Until next week, my name's Brett McMillan. Glad that you could be with us. We'll talk to you next time on the Cardinals Insider Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.